2 Timothy 1, verse 11. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul is in a rough place. He is about to be put to death. Since AD 64, when Rome burned, it is now a death penalty offense just to be known to be a Christian. So he is writing to his best friend Timothy, trying to get him to stay strong in such a dangerous day, to stay true even if you have to suffer. That's a theme we'll see over and over again in this second Timothy. But one of the things that you've got to recognize is although we're not facing a death penalty for being a Christian here, there are Christians all over this world that are facing a daily threat of death penalty because they're Christians. Open Doors is an organization that tracks the persecution of Christians around the world. They always rank the number one, number two, number three worst places to live if you're a Christian, the worst persecutors. Almost every year, North Korea tops the list. That's the most dangerous place to be a Christian. Ironically, before the communists took over after World War II, North Korea had 13% of its population that were Christians. And Pyongyang, the capital now, was nicknamed the Jerusalem of the East because there were so many Christians there. And also they were sending out missionaries from Pyongyang. There was a family that lived there in Pyongyang, and they were one of the rarities in that day and time after so many years of persecution. Her name is Kim Yoon Jin. Uh, Her father and mother were Christians. She said every day her father would wake up and tell her, I'm willing to die for Jesus. I'm going to stay true. And this may be the last hug you get. And she would hug him. And they would hug. And sure enough, one day while she was at school, they came for her dad, and she never saw him again, and she assumes that he's long dead now. But what they would do is their grandmother had a Chinese language Bible. When communism came in, they were no longer able to get any kind of Bibles. Her mother took that Chinese language Bible and made a hand copy of that Bible in Korean. That became their most treasured possession. And even though it was illegal to be known as a Christian and illegal to worship as a Christian, Every Sunday, what they would do is that Sunday night, night would fall, they'd go into the back of their house, and literally they'd put a blanket over their heads to muffle the sounds, and they would whisper hymns and read the scripture and pray because they continued worshiping even in that type of environment. She was able to leave North Korea, and she said this, I grew up in a land where they say there is no God, but my father told me otherwise. He loved Christ. And for that, he died. Now, I'm grateful that's not our circumstances now. But folks, can we be honest? We're seeing the walls come closer. They're they're closing in on us, aren't they? We're seeing pressure if you stand true as a biblical Christian. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make a commitment in advance that we are going to stay true. Stay true. Now, what will give you the motivation to stay true when those walls begin to cave in on us? Number one. We stay true to the gospel because we've been given the high calling of speaking up for the gospel. We've been given the high calling of speaking up for the gospel. 
Look at these words and leave them on for just a second while I explain them. Paul in verse 11 says, For this gospel I was appointed, look at the three words, a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. I want to explain all three of those. Now, if you have a King James or New King James, it says, I was appointed a preacher. I like the CSB translation of this word when they translate it herald, because when you think of preacher, you think of something that's used strictly for religion, a preacher of a religion. But this particular word was a secular word in the, in the Roman Empire. This, this herald was the person that had the responsibility on behalf of the emperor. If the emperor had something he wanted to announce to the empire, or if there was a specific message to a specific city, the herald would go into the middle of the city, gather people together, and he would give the pronouncement from the king. This is the word of the king. You need to respect this. You need to obey this. They didn't have CNN or Fox. They didn't have email. So it took an in-person herald to give out the message of the king. And Paul said, because of the gospel, I've been appointed as a herald. My job is to go into the public spaces and declare I'm here with a message from the king. I'm here to give you the word of the Lord of Lords. And you need to pay attention to this. You need to do what I am announcing. So we've got to be vocal in our standing for Christ, in our using the name of Jesus. Karen and Kenny here, my wife and my brother-in-law, had an uncle. He did our wedding. He was my age. He's in, in heaven now. But uh, he was a character. And back when he first went to college, um, he got a, his hair was curly brown. And so he grew a white afro. So, you know, so he, he could pass for a hippie. If you don't know what the hippies are, you can Google it after the sermon. But he could pass for a hippie. Well, he decided he would go and witness to the hippies in Atlanta. Now, if you know anything about Atlanta, Peachtree Road is the main road that goes through downtown, goes up north through Midtown. Back around 70 to 74, the hippies took over where Peachtree Road is. They took over from 10th Street to 14th Street. And they were out there. It was just hippies everywhere you could look. And they were selling drugs out in the open during that time. And so he decided he'd go there and witness, and he was on one corner, and there was a guy there, and he was going, acid, grass, smack, red, white, chumpers, downers, right here. Acid, grass, smack, red, white, chumpers, downers, right here. And so Ricky decided he'd stand next to him. The guy would go, acid, smack, red, white, uppers, down here. And he went, Jesus, right here. Jesus, right here. That guy got so aggravated, because every time he'd make a spiel, Ricky would say, Jesus. He, he said he felt compelled to go down there and to tell them about Jesus in that public space. That's a herald. This morning, when I was doing my digest of different news items, I found an article an editorial written by Ayan Hirsi Ali. I knew that name uh, as a Muslim woman. She did something extraordinary after 911. She was raised in Kenya in a Muslim Brotherhood area. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood are the radical Islamists. Every one of the terrorists that flew planes into buildings on 9-11 were parts of the Muslim Brotherhood. She, that, was her, that was her background. She said that she was converted by them. She was already a Muslim, a nominal Muslim. Then she was converted to, to be as radical as they. they. She put on the hijab. She determined that she would do every one of the rules of Islam. And she was also taught that not only do you do everything Islam says, but you have to hate anyone who is not somebody who is obeying the Quran and obeying those rules. And that was her background. And then she watched as... 
People from the Muslim Brotherhood flew those planes into buildings and killed those innocent folk, and she could not stay silent. So all of a sudden, on American TV, she was everywhere. And she was saying, this is not right. I am a Muslim, but this is not right. And you can imagine the courage it took for a Muslim woman to stand up against that. Well, it turns out that in the ensuing years, she is now a Christian. And the title of the article that I read this morning is, Why I Am Now a Christian. And then she shared this as the burden on her heart. She talked about her own becoming a Christian, but she said, the reason I'm writing this editorial, and by the way, she's a Stanford fellow right now. So this is still someone held with high credentials in the world. But she said, the reason why I'm writing this editorial to let you know that I am now a Christian, she said, because we have four different mindsets that are battling for control of the world. Number one, there is Islam, and they are out to rule and dominate the world, especially now with Iran's influence and with Iran's money. They have as their goal that they want everyone to be forced to bend their knee and become a... So if they win, then everyone has to become Muslims. That's a, that's a dominant worldview that's trying to assert control. And then she pointed out another group that have declared they want to control the world. She calls it authoritarians, and she named two examples. One is communist China. And folks, don't you mistake this. Communist China is openly saying they want to dominate the world. They are building a military that will be undaunted. Uh, we have got to wake up to their danger. But they are saying, we want the world to be under our control. And we even have academics here in America who say, we'd be better off if we were run like China. No freedom. <laughs> State controlling your life. She said, but the other example of authoritarians are Putin and the Russians, because Putin right now has announced, I just want back everything we had under the Soviet Union. And he announced his goal was not just Ukraine, but he wanted to take Poland and, and the Baltic states. And so you've got two authoritarian regimes that are saying, I want to take over this world because the best way for this world to be run is with some kind of authority over you dictating every area of your life. So we've got Islam fighting with that mindset. We've got the authoritarians who are fighting with their mindset. And then she said there's a third one out there, and this is basically taking control of Europe and America. And she called that the woke secular left. Oh, my soul, can you believe all that's happening? This last week in Ohio, Ohio was considered to be a conservative state. They voted to amend their constitution to allow abortion up to the point of birth. How have we gotten there in America? Here on campuses today, we have Jewish students saying that they feel unsafe to go to their college campuses because of the anti-Semitism that's out there. Well, it's, it, it, the, the political correct, the woke group says there should only one voice be heard and that's our voice. So they're going, anytime you see a poster of somebody who's a hostage right now, they're taking it down. It's not, it's not that they want free speech, they only want their speech. They want a rule. And I think the ultimate irony of the woke left is a group that came out not long ago called Queers for Palestine. And they are homosexuals who said, we're backing Palestine in this conflict. Did they not check the facts? In Gaza, any homosexual that's caught in homosexual actions in Gaza is put to death. 
How in the world can they have such a mindset that they would do that? So she, she said, look, we've got three forces there that are wanting to take over the world, dominate the world, and the only other force that's out there is the biblical mindset. And folks, our country used to be governed by a biblical mindset, and we have lost it. We are no longer a Bible belt. Don't you ever think this is still a Bible belt. The overwhelming majority of people in Henderson County don't go to church, haven't been to church in generations. The children don't know Jesus loves me, this I know. You've got to wake up. This is a secular world. And so she said, that's what's at stake. And because of that, Ali has said, I've got to speak up for Jesus. She said, I've got to declare which side I'm on. I've got to work to see that the biblical mindset wins because she has experienced what's out there. And she says, we're in that kind of battle. So Paul called himself a herald, someone who was official representative of the king who gives out the king's message. And then he called himself an apostle. Now, of course, an apostle was the term used for those who were the chosen ones of Jesus. But the word apostle... Let me just parse it for you in the Greek. The word stello, apostello, the word stello means to send, and the word apo means from. So the word literally means to be sent from. And it was also a word that could be used for missionaries. So what Paul is saying in this time, when you've got to stand up for Jesus, I consider myself to be a herald. I'm going to boldly stand up for Jesus, but I also consider myself to be a missionary. I've been sent out to him. I'm going to go find places where the name of Jesus needs to be shouted, and I'm going there. And then he says, I'm also a teacher of the gospel. Now, let me explain this. Now, please understand this now. I just stated a few minutes ago that this is no longer the Bible Belt. People don't have a biblical background. Do you realize in order to lead somebody to Christ, we're going to have to do a lot more patient teaching of background truths and patient explaining of the gospel? Because if you simply said, Jesus died for you and rose again, believe in him, they're not going to know why he died and rose again. And who is this Jesus? We're a secular day and time. So it's going to take more time to be an explainer of the gospel. I am a teacher of the gospel. There was an example that came out this week as well of someone who was raised completely secular. She had never held a Bible in her hand. Her name is Julie Chen. Uh, If you know that name, Julie Chen was the host of Big Brother. Uh, She also hosted a show on CBS called The Talk. She was married to Les Moonves, who was the head of CBS, but her world fell apart in 2018. That was the year of Me Too movement. And her husband was accused of being inappropriate, using his power, and was accused of being inappropriate with women. He denied it. They've stayed married, but that shook her world up. She tried to continue in the duties that she had there in her shows. And one day she was breaking down when a Christian cameraman walked up to her and could tell that her life was distraught. And he gave her a gift she'd never held before. He gave her a Bible. And she started reading the Bible. But folks, it was so hard for her with no background to understand that Bible. And then she discovered something she said she didn't know existed. She found a study Bible with notes at the bottom that explained what she was reading. And that brought her to another level. And then the pandemic hit in 2020. And she was invited to be a part of a Zoom Bible study. And as they patiently took the time to explain the scriptures to her, in 2020, she became a committed Christian. She accepted Christ. And now she has announced 
this week that the only thing she will do in the future is faith-based programming because her life is so consumed by the gospel. And she said this, one of the big things I've learned is this, if you do not declare publicly who, who he is or what he has done for you, why would, should he stand up for you? So I have to stand firm and say it loud and say it proud what he has done for me and who he is. So we stay true, number one, because we have a high calling. Number two, we stay true to the gospel because we have a real relationship with the Lord. We have a real relationship with the Lord. I love this phrase. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what I have believed, although Paul knew what he had believed. He knew the facts of the gospel. But here he is saying, can I tell you why I'm hanging in there? Why I'm willing to suffer? Because I know whom I have believed. A true Christian is somebody who knows God personally. John put it this way, in John, or Jesus said this in John 17, 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do you define somebody who has eternal life? It's somebody who knows God, who knows Jesus. They have a real relationship. On Friday, we had 65 couples here to celebrate uh, the fact that they've all reached 50 years in marriage. We have, we, our estimate is we have 75 couples in the church who've been married 50 years or longer, but 10 are not physically able to come. So we had 65 couples come out on Friday to celebrate the fact that they've been married for 50 years. Isn't that a great testimony to what God can do in a home? Uh, Karen and I have been married 46, almost 46 and a half years. Uh, so we've got three and a half years before we'll be invited to that August assembly. <laughs> And uh, it'll be an honor to be able to go to something like that. But can I tell you this? 46 years. The reason I've stayed committed to Karen, is I, I can't, I, if I were to say, I'll tell you why I've stayed true to Karen, because I believe in the concept of marriage. I have read all of the marriage books. I believe marriage is that important. So I've stayed married for 46 years because I believe in the concept of marriage. Well, I do believe in the concept of marriage, but that thought's never crossed my mind. I'll tell you what, I wake up every morning when I get to look in that beautiful face. I sit here and think, ah, oh, I'm married to her. <laughs> She's the best person I know. I love her dearly. What a privilege. I'm not sitting here saying I'm hanging in marriage. Somehow I'm going to make it to that 50. No, I know who am I married to. That's the reason why I love being married, because I love the person that I'm married to. And the reason why we stay true to the Lord is because we know whom we have believed in. And then the last point is this. We stay true to the gospel because we stay focused on that day. Now, there's a difference in the translation of the CSB and other translations. CSB and ESV translate it this way. The King James, New King James translates it. Another. Let me give it to you. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what's been entrusted to me until that day. Now, if you'll show me the King James Version next, brother, if you don't mind skipping to that. Uh, it says, he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, why in the world would there be two distinctly different translations? Let me explain. Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern, has a, edited a commentary, said, I, I owe this to him. I checked it out the Greek. He was right. 
The word that's translated what I've committed or what he's committed is simply one word that could be translated the deposit. It's one word in the Greek. And it's the same word that will be used two verses later when it says guard the deposit that he's given you. So the CSB, in order to be consistent, says, we're told in verse 14, he's given us this deposit, we're to guard it. So therefore, he says, I know that he will be able to keep what I have been committed, what's been committed to me. But it could easily be what the King James translated, what I've committed unto him. And I'll tell you how I decided which one is the right one. It's because it's the one that I sang all my life with this great old hymn. You want to hear it? I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed Unto him against that day. Oh, I had so many great memories of singing that song. The straight from the King James, the chorus is, of verse 12. Hey, it doesn't matter. If it's what he committed to me, he'll keep it. If it's what I committed to him, he'll keep it. He's faithful. I know the one who's faithful. But I like to think it's what I put in his hands. Anything I put in his hands, he'll take care of. Donald Hubbard was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. Uh, his church had a week-long summer youth camp, and if you've ever been around summer youth camps, usually what they do at the end is they have some kind of tear-jerking emotional meeting at the end where everybody does something to show they've made a commitment to Christ. And so there, his church had a campfire, and their tradition was you get around the campfire, and, and they would say, I want you to pick up a stick and I want you to think of a commitment you want to make to God and give that to God right now. And everybody throw their stick in. Well, there was a girl that had come to that camp and she was severely disabled and nobody paid attention to her. But in fact, they avoided her, especially at meals, because when she ate, she couldn't get it all in her mouth. She made such a mess. So Donald Hubbard was standing next to her. She picked up her stick and this is what she said. I don't know why God made me like this, but he can have all of me there is. And she gave herself to the Lord. And we know this, God is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, bottom line, here's the call from the scripture for us today. This is a day when we're going to have to be bold. When the walls are closing in on us. When the pressure is there to intimidate us, when persecution is there in the world and here on the horizon, we have got to have people who will say, I'm going to raise the name of Jesus publicly. I'm going to stand for him. And I love it when I find people who are not preachers who do that. And one of those is C.J. Stroud. Now, C.J. Stroud and Bryce um, Young, your, your Alabama guy. Won the Heisman Trophy with Alabama a year ago. He plays for the Panthers. Pray for him because they're not doing good. <laughs> uh, CJ and Bryce played against each other as high school students in California. When the draft happened last spring, Bryce was number one. And then CJ Stroud was number two. He now plays for the Texans. He's had a much better year stat statistically. If they'll just get some players to be around Bryce, he's going to do good. He's got great talent. 
But here's something that blew me away. Listen to this. After he had won his first game, the reporters came and said, do you feel pressure? (laughs) I love his said. He said, pressure is a privilege. I'm blessed enough to wake up every day and to walk and to talk and interact with people and to play football. These are all things we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, but I try to do my best to thank God for all because his grace and his mercy, he laid his life on the cross for us. I really believe that. This is bigger than just ball. I have to use football for my bigger purpose to spread the gospel in the life of Jesus. Then I'll do that. And I think that's what God wants. And he said this in the same article, God put me on this world to preach his word, not to win a Super Bowl, to preach his word. Folks, that's our calling. That's what we've got to stay true to. We've got to lift up the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me about that? Oh, Lord, we come to you now and pray that you give us more strength. In fact, you are faithful. We can claim what we just read. You are able to keep what we've given to you. I pray, Lord, we take seriously the fact we're in a war. That we have whole parts of our country that are being captured by a woke secular mindset. Whole parts of our world that are being captured by militant Islam, whole parts of our world that are slaves under communism and, and authoritarianism. Oh Lord, wake us up. We've got the gospel. We got the truth. We got the one who will set you free. Help us to be true. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.